0: Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark Arlepage and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each and every week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business. As a small firm entrepreneur architect, This is episode 335, new ideas for a new architecture firm with founder of EVS Studio, Leah Alyssa Bayer. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our platform sponsors, RCAT, the online resource delivering quality building material information, CAD details, BIM specifications, and so much more for free at RCAT.com and GUSTO, easy online payroll benefits and HR built for modern small businesses like ours. Leah Alyssa Bayer, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast.
1: Thank you. Thanks so much for having me, Mark. It's great to chat with you
0: again. It's great having you here. Uh, I love bumping into you. I love learning about your firm. Truthfully, I want to be honest here, right here on the beginning of the podcast. I thought you have been on before. Uh, I thought this was your second show because I went back linking, looking for the episode number. When was she on? Because you and your firm, well, actually you, were the the winner of the 2019 uh, Charette Venture Group Architecture Business Plan Competition. And I typically have those winners on the show. And somehow we did some live thing during this the... The reception, and I—I I either we decided that we weren't going to do the podcast, or whatever. We thought we were going to have you on, and so I thought this was your second show. So I'm super happy and psyched to introduce you to our community. For anybody who doesn't know you, you're very involved in our community, so lots of people know who you are. Uh, but let me let me introduce you more formally for anybody who doesn't know who you are. Uh, Leah is a founder and director of the architecture startup Evia Studio, uh, and an award-winning, 100% woman-led. Uh, Virtual teams of diverse professionals spread across the country who are passionate about creating exceptional living spaces for all equally passionate about serving her profession as she is to her firm uh, and her clients. Leah is dedicated to volunteering and sit back and buckle in here because she does a lot here. Her current contributions include serving as AIA Silicon Valley's treasurer, founding chair of the AIA SV Silicon Valley, Uh, the Practice Leadership Committee, the Communications Director for the Women in Architecture for that chapter, founding co-chair of the Architectural Intelligence Conference, uh, advisor to AIA National's Center for Practice, member of the AIA California ADU Steering Committee, and member of the NCARB Experience Advisory Committee. And she is starting an architecture firm and runs an architecture firm and does all the other things. And so, so it's, is doing a lot, so I appreciate you, Leah, for uh, taking a little bit of time, carving a little a little time out of your day, uh, to come spend some time with us here at Entree Architect Podcast.
1: Absolutely, this is the this is the fun stuff. So it's a pleasure to be here.
0: Yeah, I can't wait to talk about your firm uh, because you're doing some really interesting things, doing some experiments here, to see how it works, see how it doesn't work. Um, and I've heard a little bit about you, and I have discussed a little bit about what you're doing. I've heard a little bit about what you're doing but I wanna dive deep into what you're doing uh, and share it with our community so you might inspire some others to sort of think out of the box. Um, but before we do that, before we dive into your firm, I wanna go back and learn about you. I want to, to learn your origin story. When did you discover your passion for architecture and what inspired you to become an architect?
1: So I've, I think I've heard a lot of similar origin stories on this show of there were definitely signs as a young child that architecture was something I was interested in. Um, I was not interested in Legos. I hated Legos, but I, <laughs> I, I, I can't identify with that at all. They were hard and rectangular and it just not for me. Um, but I did build extensive tents and forts. I really enjoyed that. Uh, and when I started to look back on it, it really says a lot about what I've become as a professional where I was more interested in creating spaces to share with friends and pets and family, as opposed to the aesthetic that you get from building out of Legos. Um, so it's, it's fun to look back and see that. Yes. Thread.
0: That's why I love the origin story because people yep. sort of go back and start telling their story and then start connecting the dots about, Whoa, wow. I didn't realize that. Cause that's very interesting that you, you sort of the whole idea of, Building little models weren't really the thing for you. It was actually creating space and 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 sort of climbing into the fort. And what was your material of preference for your forts?
1: Uh, definitely sheets, sheets, clothespins, and uh, rope was usually what I built out of. Yeah. Uh, if I had more substantial materials, I might. But we had a lot of sheets laying around, so <laughs> yeah. every single day I'd fill up multiple rooms with different forts and tents and spaces and I had a lot of pets too, a lot of really weird pets um, unique as a child and so it was usually like this little zoo inside the living room in different spaces
0: do you still have do you still have pets
1: I do I um I have a famous dog if you have heard of the pun husky the pun husky meme um, that's my dog yeah, so if you just if you Google pun husky, it's this like three image meme of a dog telling telling really bad puns. And that's my little huh. shoe.
0: <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. I'll have to look that up. I'll put that on the Insta on the on the show notes as well. So if anybody else wants to see that. <laughs>
1: um,
0: the reason okay. I ask is because we are animal lovers here too at Entree Architect, and we have, you know, a whole menagerie here. So it's nice to, to know others are out there. Do
1: you have any uncommon
0: or strange parts? I wouldn't say they're strange we have two dogs four cats five cat studio is named after our five cats um, And uh, and we have a guinea pig ah. and So that's our <laughs> and but we've had we've had we've raised squirrels that were that were abandoned and and a squirrel named velcro and uh, we have we have uh, two kittens that survived from uh, that were kittens that from uh, they were about f- less than a week old. They were really small and the mother had been killed and we raised them. And so two of them are still with us. And so we do lots of, lots of animal rescue.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's wonderful. I love that. Yeah. So, so animal fan building yeah, forts building discovered forts. sort of, when did you mm-hmm. discover, where did you put the the connection together that, that space and architecture were, were connected so-
1: You know, I really didn't. I was in high school and um, I used to do these really surreal pen and ink drawings, sort of like H.R. Geiger style, very dark. And I was sketching in my physics class and my physics teacher in high school looked at me and just smiled and was like, hey, have you ever read The Fountainhead? And I had never heard of it. I really respected him. I enjoyed that class tremendously. And so I thought, oh, well, if he's recommending this book, then I should read it. And I did. And I, I have no idea what it says about me that after reading The Fountainhead, it clicked that ah, I should become an architect. But that was my first introduction into maybe that's something that I should do. Um, and this was I think, my junior year in high school. And so it was really time to start applying.
0: Did but you I have had, did you have any sort of direction at that time? And this is what I wanted to become or you didn't really have a clue. And then sort of architecture you know, re- revealed itself.
1: Yeah, I don't know why I didn't have any idea or wasn't, I, I didn't feel panicked that I should pick. I just assumed that I'd go to university somewhere and do something, but I never had a plan. Yep. Um, and so it just, this just fell into my lap and then I applied to a couple schools and ended up going to Cal Poly and studying architecture. Um, I, I definitely struggled though. I mean, it was not I think because I didn't know much about architecture and my first experience was at university and understanding what that was, that particular focus and culture wasn't for me. Yeah. I, I love creativity, but there was something about being this pure designer role that I didn't enjoy. Um, so I struggled a lot. I, I had a, a battle with depression. I actually started in engineering and was double majoring in architecture, essentially, uh, and after four years, I ended up dropping out because it was burned out. And I thought, well, I don't know what I'm doing. This doesn't really make sense for me and took some time off uh, and just started taking on fun projects for myself to relax and step back and reflect on what my journey looked like and what my path was. And I found... I started watching TED Talks. This is like the time when TED started putting their videos online. um, And I found a TED Talk by Michael Pollan on biomimicry and architecture. And to me, that was something so beautiful and different than I had seen before. And this really strong connection to nature, again, tying back to this like animal family that I came from, that really spoke to me. Um, And I thought, oh, well, this is something really meaningful. Architecture could do something and not just be something. Um, It could give back to the world in a really significant way. And so I think that was the fire that really renewed my interest in architecture. Uh, So I returned. And at the same time, I had taken on a lot of part-time jobs to support myself as a student. Uh, And for some reason, I always ended up in a position where I was helping the owner of the company uh, really manage the back end of their business. Uh, it's not something that I ever studied or thought I would like to do, but I just, they'd put me in a receptionist chair and then I'd start digging through their finances and digging through like their operational systems and, oh, how are you managing your scheduling books and are there ways that we can improve uh, your systems? And so there was this interesting pairing of what I was doing naturally uh, for a part-time job that was supposed to be meaningful and then also studying architecture That I think it took until I graduated 10 years after starting at Cal Poly for me to realize that this could be a really great pairing. um, And maybe my role in architecture is to help manage an architectural business. So it took a long time for those different threads to come together for me to understand my place. Um, And now I'm here trying to meld the two. Yeah. And that's where I'm at. Yeah. So did
0: you did you go and work for others and sort of find that role after you graduated?
1: I did. I knew I always wanted to be licensed. That wasn't something that was a question of mine. I felt like there was a you know, you put in all of that work that you might as well take the tests and legitimize yourself as a professional. So I knew I needed to work in order to do that. I had to put my intern hours in uh, and I I actually applied my first job out of college for an office manager position in an architecture firm. Because I thought, oh, maybe I can I can tangentially learn about architecture while doing the role that I love as managing this office. And the firm owner called me after my interview and was like, you're way too qualified <laughs> to be an office manager. <laughs> this is, you should be an architect. You should be practicing architecture. And so I thought about it a little and I responded back. And I was like, okay, well... It sounds like you also need a, a junior designer. So if you're interested, maybe we start there. Yeah. Uh, and I took that job in downtown Mountain View uh, and was there for a few years and really grew and learned a lot about practice. And I'm glad I'm glad that he made me <laughs> work <laughs> in architecture as opposed to managing an architecture firm. But very- did you
0: get the opportunity to also manage while you were there? Did you sort of I- learn the backside and back end of it?
1: I did. I think that he, because of the way it started and because he knew my background, there was, uh, he knew there was an interest there. So I spent a lot of one-on-one time with him uh, reviewing and understanding contracts, uh, talking about business development and marketing. Um, I helped them transition to Revit. So I went through a whole operational overhaul for the firm there. So I did get to do a lot of uh, firm practice related tasks in addition to learning about how to be a real architect. Um, So it was a great, a great pairing. It was a smaller firm, about 12 people. So a good enough size that there's enough work going on that it was quite complex and a lot of opportunity, but also a small enough size that I could help dig my hands in and improve the systems and help manage from the business perspective. So it was, it was wonderful. I loved that job.
0: Did you always know that, that Entrepreneurism was part of the plan that you, you starting your own practice from scratch was a priority?
1: I think so. Uh you know, I listened to this podcast a lot when I first started working and it was just this quiet little voice in the back of my head that like this is something that you wanna do. Um, but I, I thought it would take me a lot longer to get there. I come from a family of entrepreneurs. Uh, my mom has her own boutique. My dad ran his own medical practice. So I, I watched people who were their own bosses <laughs> for yeah. my entire life. And that's just the lifestyle that I knew. Uh, and I've always had an idea in mind of what I could do differently when I saw other businesses and, and taking the best of what I had learned over the years. And maybe I could do something to advance or improve the profession in some way. So I did, I did have an inkling. I just, I had no idea when that would happen.
0: And so so how did that transition happen? You said that it happened sooner than you expected. How did that happen?
1: It did. So after, after a few years, uh, at that first firm, the owner had started talking to me about, uh, a firm transition plan and possibly passing on uh, the role of managing that practice to me. And that's the first time I started thinking seriously about, am I ready for this?
0: Yeah. You have to start making some choices because someone's asking you to make a choice.
1: Right. And it's a really huge responsibility to think about taking on somebody's legacy. And I didn't quite feel comfortable or ready to do that. I just, I... I think if it was my own firm, it would be okay because I'm only responsible for me. But if I took somebody's legacy and I just destroyed it because I had no idea what I was doing, I would feel awful. Um, I actually had dinner with a colleague of mine who was also in a similar position where she was considering going on on her own. And then two of our mentors, one of which uh, you have had on the podcast multiple times, Jennifer Krushimer.
0: Yeah, Um, yep. Jennifer has become a good friend of Entree Architect and a good friend of mine.
1: She is wonderful. I love her. She's been an inspiration for me for many years. And one of one of the mentors, the other woman who we were out to dinner with was more cautious. She's like, Well, maybe you should maybe you should branch off and join a larger company and see what it's like to be in a bigger firm um, and how that's managed. And Jen was just sort of like, Ah, do what you
0: want. <laughs> Jump off the cliff now. Do it.
1: <laughs> and I loved that, but yep. I was Terrified, so I did. I ended up applying to a larger firm. I worked at Perkins and Will for about a year, um, and it was very different. And I'm glad I did. Uh, definitely exposed me to a, a better understanding of how a large corporation runs, which yep. you can then take those lessons back to a smaller firm. But it was hard. I was commuting four hours in my day every day, and the work was not particularly. I learned that I don't really enjoy corporate interiors, for example. Um, so I struggled a bit, and then I had an opportunity come to me out of nowhere. I wasn't looking for work on the side. I wasn't thinking about starting my business, but I had someone approach me because of writing that I had posted online on a website called Cora. Have you heard of Cora?
0: Sure. Yep. Question and answer website. Yeah. People mm-hmm. post questions and professionals, experts answer those questions.
1: Yep. And I, I, had, I had actually answered a couple about architecture, but I had mostly answered questions about animals. (laughs) (laughs) And I was telling really creepy, like children's horror stories about my pets growing up, which had become pretty popular on there. Um, And he found me because he was an advisor to the site and sent me a message on Cora of all places saying, Hey, I I see you're an architect. I have this project uh, in Hawaii with 45 acres and I want to build some off-grid houses out there. Are you taking on work?
0: Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. did, or did you did you think at first scam? <laughs> I did.
1: It's was, it was 1130 at night, and I woke up my husband, and I was like, honey, I just got this really weird message. Like, do you think this is a real thing? He's like, no, that's that's a scam. And then we started looking into the, the, who this person was, and I was like, okay, if this is legit, here is all of my contact information. Yes, I am ready to take on projects. Let's chat. Um, and it turned out not to be a scam. So. There was an opportunity that came to me and it sort of felt like a sign yeah, that it was yeah. for me to take a leap and and that's how it started just very unintentionally
0: very interesting and so are, is, so what year was that when was that
1: that was uh 2018 uh, it is actually we're just a couple days away from me officially leaving my position at Perkins and well and being Independent, self-employed, crazy <laughs> for two years.
0: So two years ago, you started yeah. the firm, yeah. almost almost to the day of this recording. Yes. So tell us tell us where where you are now, and then let's go back to how you decided to sort of design out this new firm because it's a little different than some other more traditional firms. So talk about talk about what the firm is now, um, and then let's talk about how you planned it out.
1: So we are uh, a team of, we're actually all women at this point, which is not intentional, but kind of fun, Uh, working virtually. We have been working virtually from the start, not just due to everything that's going on in the world right now, but that was always the intent. So my first hire uh, was working out of a van traveling the country, for example. Um, The five of us are spread across the country in New York, New Hampshire, Oregon, and then two of us in California. And we're all quite different in terms of our expertise and level of experience. We've got uh, just a few years of experience. Actually, no, I will say Kyle has zero experience. (laughs) (laughs) Basically an intern level all the way up to Denise, who she celebrated her 40th year in practice last year. Um, And our focus is on primarily housing. We really enjoy that uh, very personal connection to the individual who's living there. And have done, I'd say mostly custom residential to start as a new firm. That's really the less scary <laughs> project type for me to take on under my own license. Uh, but we've also done a little small commercial because it's a similar experience working closely with uh, the the business owner. And then now are looking to grow and take on much larger projects to give back to the community in a meaningful way. So looking at multiple uh, multifamily housing. Uh, affordable housing. We are just now stepping into the realm of uh, collaborating with another local firm to work on 130 affordable housing units, um, half of which are for the permanent supportive care for the formerly homeless. Um, and this is really the type of work that we're interested in doing, is is really meaningful, healthy, sustainable, um, high-density housing in areas that really need it. That's what we're passionate about. So, I I love that we're starting on that journey, and and that's where we'd like to continue to evolve. And then eventually, the plan is to start developing our own work, um, in the future. So, becoming architect as developer.
0: Who are the clients for the the work that you're pursuing now? Are they, is it public work or is it private developers or?
1: Uh, So historically, it's been private work um, with the single family homes and the business owners. This affordable housing unit is specifically an affordable housing developer um, who is the client for the project. Our client is actually an architecture firm. So we're partnering with them on this uh, to act as an extended team so we can sort of get our feet wet, um, understand the process, and then provide them the resources that they need on a project like this. So it's a really, I think, a beautiful pairing of complementing of skills with another firm.
0: Yeah, and the way that your firm is structured in terms of being virtual, so you don't have uh, an office that you're dealing with, so you're ultimately flexible, right? You can bring on as many people as you want to, um, and, and you can be as flexible as you want to be. And so you can pursue some larger projects that you may need to grow into uh, just by bringing on more members of your team virtually. So that's the first you know, difference than most architecture firms when you start. Although I think that's becoming more common and probably will become more normal uh, as we move forward. Uh, that, And I've been saying that for years, that the virtual firm is the future of small firm architects because it doesn't make so much sense to start that way. But I think a lot of architects start that way and then move into an office. Um, you have chosen to not move into an office, that that's the business model, is that you're going to remain virtual. Uh, is there any future plan of ever having a brick and mortar office or is it, that's the plan is to stay virtual.
1: I don't think so. I I think I've thought about a fantasy where we've become the largest architecture firm in the world.
0: (laughs) I like, I like that, that fantasy. I say, go for it, jump off the (laughs) cliff.
1: In the event that that happens, then I could see us as a company renting um, space in WorkShare. Centers in different areas across the country or the world for people to have a place to go to um, and interact with their colleagues, but not necessarily have any sort of home base or you know it's just our practices office. Um, I I'm all for supporting. I think flexibility in choice and opportunity. So I think the idea of being able to offer a space for people to go that may find it hard to work at home would be really enticing. It's just not it doesn't really make sense when we don't have a core group of people in any particular area, uh, although I've thought about it, maybe a stipend for them to use on their own for a co-working space yeah. like that. Um, but no, I, I, we, I, I don't ever see us having an actual office.
0: right? So it'll always be based on this flexibility model, this freedom and flexibility that even when, even when you do become the largest firm in the world, uh, it'll still be this, this remote distributed model with potentially, you know, physical spaces where your teams can meet and collaborate. And, and that truthfully, I think that's the future of many business. Uh, I think that's the way business is going to be moving toward in the future since everybody now is working from home and all these big companies that resisted working from home and flexible hours and remote working for so many years, for a decade, they've been res- resisting it. They had to make that decision in one week and send everybody home and figure out how to do it. They've now figured out how to do it and have benefited from the, 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 um, the results of that and now see the, the benefits of working remotely. And so Great. I think the future really is this hybrid model that will have this flexible... Uh, uh, option with physical space where they can collaborate. And so I think, uh, you know, you and others like Jennifer, who have been working uh, remotely from the beginning, uh, are the pioneers of that, of that future. We will return to our conversation right after this quick break to say thank you to our platform sponsors here at Entrez Architect, Gusto and Arcat. I know what it's like to be an entrepreneur architect because I'm a small firm architect too. I know what it's like to wear all those hats. And some of those hats are great, but some like filing taxes and running payroll, not so great. That's where Gusto comes in. Gusto makes payroll taxes and HR actually easy for small businesses like ours. Fast, simple payroll processing benefits and simple management tools all in one place. Gusto automatically pays and files your taxes so you don't have to worry about it. And when you're ready to add on that health benefits or that 401k for your team, they can do that too. Easy, no stress. Those old school clunky payroll providers just aren't built for the way modern small businesses work, but Gusto is. So let them wear one of your hats so you can do better things like being an architect. Members of the Entre Architect community receive three months free when they run their first payroll Try a demo today and see for yourself at Gusto.com slash architect. That's Gusto.com slash architect. Free for three months. Gusto.com slash architect. Unless you're working for one of the top architecture firms in the world, you know what it's like to work with limited resources. But there's one resource that you can access no matter what size of your business. Arcat.com. RCAT is a free solution for your building product information needs. They offer BIM objects, CAD details, specifications, and a lot more all directly from leading manufacturers. Research building products and get the information you need all in the same place without paying a cent. So visit RCAT today at RCAT.com. That's A-R-C-A-T.com. Set them up in your bookmarks or your favorites and make them a regular part of your project workflow they will help you find the information you need fast and easy and free. That's rcat.com and let them know that Entree Architect sent you. RCAT.com, your complete source for finding, detailing, and specifying building products. Gusto and RCAT. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. So I I sort of I'm picking up a theme that flexibility and and uh, freedom and sort of uh, uh, independence is sort of a theme with your firm. What other things are you doing that uh, benefits the people who are working with you other than this remote freedom flexibility model?
1: So I think in addition to remote, uh, there is a flexibility in terms of work hours, when you work, how you work. That seems to be inherent. If you give somebody work, uh, remote work capability, I, I know that some people are trying to keep normal hours so that they have a core group of people working at the same time. For us, it's uh, you know choose what works best for you. So giving people the autonomy and authority to manage their own life and personal schedule, I think is really important because people work very differently.
0: How do you how do you manage that? Because that's the question everybody asks when they hear that. When I, I'm I'm seeing many people. <laughs> listening to this and saying, well, how do you make that work? I mean, how do you make sure that the work gets done?
1: Uh, That that question comes up a lot. And I always think it's so funny because you you know if the work's done, right? The work's done or it's not done.
0: (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Exactly right.
1: um, You have a deliverable, it happens or it doesn't happen. And then you have a conversation about why it didn't happen. But I think adopting a different idea about communication and management. I talk uh, with people a lot about Uh, the difference between asynchronous communication and synchronous communication, which is sort of a newer term um, being adopted as it relates to remote work. Uh, But asynchronous communication just means that it's not happening concurrently at the same time. So using a platform like we do with Slack, uh, all of our communication essentially runs through Slack, allows us to have these very organized discussions and different channels about different topics that are always there for people to respond to when they're there. Uh, and so it it also takes away, it does this nice thing of where it takes away this immediacy that tends to happen in architecture firms where people are very busy and they demand something right away and it needs to be done now. It's an emergency. Uh, and architecture is not, it's not a life or death emergency type of profession. We shouldn't be talking to each other in that way. So it's helpful in that it retrains us to plan more carefully about when we might need things, communicate that early with each other, and then acknowledge that other people have different schedules and give them the breathing room to complete that task in an appropriate amount of time. So I love it for that reason. Um, And then we still have weekly check-ins with each other. So we have a, a Tuesday is usually our core day where everyone needs to be available so that we can have our group team call. So we still get together as a team at a particular time on a regular basis, which I think is important. The FaceTime is also really useful. So we do virtual calls um, so we can see each other, mm-hmm. which has been helpful. We weren't doing that at first. And I noticed that the calls were pretty low energy, low morale. And then when we instituted the you must be visible on the call, um, there was just a lot more bonding and play, yeah. happening, engagement. It's yeah. crazy.
0: It's a a big difference. I mean, that's why I I always invite guests on the show. We're recording right now using Skype, being able to see one another. It's a podcast. Nobody's going to see this video. Um, But the conversation is infinitely better when you can see me and I can see you.
1: Yeah. I mean, people need to relate to a human. Just like looking at a screen is uh, the something missing there. So that's helpful. Um, And then we've built these systems to log and track the work that you're doing. Uh, We are using Google Suites tools uh, to house everything on the cloud. Everything is transparent. Um, I share all of the project details with everyone on the team. I share our finances with everyone on the team. It all goes on to shared team drives. So everyone has an opportunity to stay in touch with and engage with all of the different parts that are happening on a project, and I think that creates a lot more interest um, and connection to the work that's being done. So, by being radically transparent, um, my team cares more about what they're what they're working on than if you just feed them little bits and parts. Um, being next to somebody, right? So, I think. Just physical proximity or making sure somebody's doing something at a particular moment doesn't necessarily lead to a better quality output of work um, or ensure that work is getting done. It's really more about setting up the systems and developing better communication tools and setting up the right expectations. And that's what leads to work getting done.
0: You just hit my three key words. And those are the key words that you need to take away if you're listening to this and you are listening to this <laughs> and there is is uh, the systems communication and expectations all right those are the three things that make remote teams work there has to be systems because that's what makes it work right that's what assures the work getting done uh, communication is absolutely key because now you have to you have to 10x your communication because now you're not bumping into people you're not overhearing conversations all those things that that serendipity that happens in an office is gone so you need to create some other uh, tools for that, and there's um, uh, communication systems for that. And then expectations, that, that there needs to be expectations set from every direction, that this is what we expect, this is what you expect, and it all starts to work. And so those are the three most important pieces of working remotely. Um, you also use the term radically transparent. And so, and that's different too. That's another unique uh, piece of your firm compared to some of the more traditional firms. Traditionally, firms have been pretty closed. I think firms are starting to open up. I think firms are starting to see the benefits of being more transparent with their teams. Um, what does that mean to you, radically transparent?
1: You know, I think everything that I understand about my company is something that I want everyone to be able to understand if they're interested. I have, my experience working in previous firms uh, was that there was specific information left out as it trickled down to different levels in the team. One of my like most proud accomplishments at Perkins and Will was actually releasing more data and transparency to all levels across the board on a corporate level uh, with the system that they use, because to me, If you expect people to grow and act more professionally, they need to be able to understand what it is they're supposed to be doing um, and why. And so to share a limited amount of information and expect people to be okay with just that surface level description of what they should be doing and not understand the implications of why um, and what happens if things get done differently you're you're really stunting your growth and ability in your own team. So, for example, <laughs> uh, telling people that they are over budget on a project, but never actually disclosing what the project budget is, Yeah, right. is a problem. Um, so I I wanted to make sure that all of the information that somebody needed uh, in order to Do their job well is available to them, but also because I'm not perfect, I don't know how to do everything. Um, I'm still learning myself. I'm growing and testing things out, and so I would love feedback from my team if they see something that I've done and created to start or initiate a project or um, to start a back end process, and it's not quite right, and they think that they can improve on that process, then we're all the better for that more eyes on the systems and more eyes on improvement just makes us a better firm overall. So I think that's important. Um, also things like talking about uh, the finances of a company overall or the salary of your fellow team members or whatever your hourly rates are. There's a lot of challenges associated with uh equal like transparency in pay or understanding how you get a raise or how you get a promotion or what somebody in the same position is making um, compared to you. Uh, Having worked with the Women in Architecture and volunteered in that group, I hear over and over again uh, the frustrations over um, equal pay concerns. And so for me, it was really more about a dedication to uh, equity and equality to to show people what they're making and understand why. Um, And that's one of the experiments that I'll continue to be testing. I think we talked a little bit about that. Um, But I I think having a consensus and an agreement on what's fair uh, and why Makes people feel much more comfortable. There's not this idea that, oh, so and so is making more than me, or oh, I should go somewhere else because I could have X, Y, and Z. If they understand what's available in your own company, then they feel much more supported and, and know how to grow. Um, so it, I, there's no negatives to me. I think I've heard a lot of criticism um, from people who say if you share all of this information with people, they're going to feel like they can just jump off and start their own company. And I I think that's also a funny argument because that's somebody can jump off and start their own company. That's right. At any point in time, right? Um, You giving them the tools and the power and the confidence to manage a practice uh, makes them more likely to stay with you because they feel supported and engaged in the business and they feel a sense of ownership over that business as well. Um, so I completely disagree with that perspective. I understand it. It's just a fear that people have. You don't yeah. want to lose people. But I'd rather build good people um, than keep people down because I'm afraid of losing them.
0: Yeah. So. And, and if they do go, then you've prepared them well to to uh, to participate in our profession, to contribute <laughs> to our profession, that they become better architects and better business people because they know Anthony Laney of uh, Laney L.A., uh, he was on the show and he d- described his employees as I'm teaching them how to leave me I don't know if those other words that he said, but that's essentially the the intent is that he's preparing them to be the best Architects they can be and if they choose to stay then great if they go then they they collaborate and they make the world a better place as two separate entities um, And so I I, uh, I applaud you for taking the courageous step of doing that because that, that takes courage to, to create that system that's involved in that of showing everybody transparently mm-hmm. what everybody else is going to make and dealing with the ramifications of that. That's an experiment. So there's, there's good sides and there's bad sides to that. and You need to adjust. And, and uh, I think fear very often is the thing that steps in the way of those kind of things. Uh, I know at one time you were also talking about ownership and mm-hmm. how the ownership is going to be potentially in the future uh, different than a traditional firm. Have you pursued that at all?
1: Uh, it's something that we have planned. Uh, we have quite a lot of large, big goals <laughs> for how we want to run this company. But after just a couple years in, it's going to take a little bit more of a backlog and uh, stable um, uh, profits in order to support all of those goals. I think we'll get there. Uh, this year, we expected to be expanding a little bit quicker but are going to be a little more conservative with not knowing what's going on with the economy um, in the next six months to a year but yes the goal is for uh there to be a shared ownership of the company um again i think that's that gives more incentive for people to feel a sense of i don't want to say ownership again but there's
0: responsibility.
1: Yeah, it's a responsibility, but also the sharing in the benefit of Mm -hmm. when the work that you're doing, it, uh, benefits the company that should also benefit you as the person who made that happen. Um, so I want other people to feel that boost of, of, wow, we're doing really well and I'm being compensated for it. I think that's great. And also understand the implications of what happens to a company when things are not going well. Um, and, what needs to happen in in order to turn that around? So yes, we uh, we will be implementing that. I'm also toying with the idea, and I think I'm probably going to do it um, at setting a either a baseline uh, minimum salary that's quite high, or just setting everybody at the exact same salary, and that would be my preference. But there are some challenges associated with that. And right. <laughs> yeah.
0: Concern
1: that we're going
0: to have to work through Well it's exciting it's exciting to see you grow and it's exciting to watch and you can and you listening can understand how she won this business plan competition the ideas are which is, excited me as a jurist on that uh, on that competition the your your look to the future and your look to uh, building a traditional practice in a completely new way right it's not a, it's not a you know unique uh, practice in terms of what you're practicing. It's very similar to many other firms, but the way you are approaching it and looking out beyond the traditional ways that we've built businesses in the past is so exciting to me. And, and I can't wait to have you back on the show in a couple of years for an update to see how this has all worked. And some of it's going to work and some of it's not going to work and you're going to grow and you're going to be strengthened by it and you're going to uh, see the benefits, whether it worked or not, you'll see the benefits of it. It's really exciting, and thank you for coming on here and being so transparent and sharing what you're what you're doing uh, at Evia. It's really really exciting. Before we let you go, I want you to answer the question that I ask everybody: um, What is one thing a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow?
1: I I hate to be boring, but really, you got to understand your finances, figure out your budget, understand your expenses. Um, everything that you do is going to come down to what you can support and do financially. And I think I, even I didn't take that on early enough. It should have been the first thing that I tackled is to set up that spreadsheet, understand what those numbers look like. Uh, Then you can grow and evolve responsibly. Uh, But if you understand your finances, if you understand those numbers, it just gives you the confidence and freedom to tackle the world tackle anything you want so start with that foundation start with that like ownership and confidence and and you can do whatever
0: you want yeah. i 100 and that is not boring that 100 percent <laughs> I mean, agree with you uh, it is the number one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow it's the first thing that you should do if you're considering starting your own firm is to is to is to understand financial management Understand how it works, how the money comes in, how it goes out, and how to track it. Number one thing, absolutely. The best answer I've ever gotten. <laughs> Another award. Great. Thank <laughs> Add that to your list of accomplishments. Leah, thank you very much for coming and joining us. Again, her name is Leah Alyssa Bayer. You can find her all over the internet as EVIA Studio. E-V-I-A Studio. She's, a, she's a, a contributing member of the community. At Facebook group, you can catch her over there. She's inside our membership in one of our masterminds. Uh, she's all over architecture. I'm sure you will hear much more about her uh, as she continues her journey in architecture as a leader uh, and as a professional. So uh, you can learn more about her at her st- at her website, EVS Studio. It's eviastudio.com. Uh, check her out on Instagram at EVS Studio. You can search EVS Studio and you'll find everything they're doing. Evia Olivia, uh, <laughs> Leah, let me get that right. Leah, thank you very much for for spending some time with me here today. I, I enjoyed our conversation, uh, and thank you for being so transparent and sharing your knowledge here at Entree Architect Podcast.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And I shout out to the Entree Architect community. I love you guys. It's just been the best and the most important. Aspects to growing my own company. So I I appreciate all of you and especially you, Mark. Thanks so much for having me and look forward to doing it again
0: in the future. Yeah, I looked forward to it too. Thank you. I appreciate that. You've been listening to episode 335. So the link to share and the link to check out the show notes or whatever else we have there is entrearchitect.com slash episode 335. That's a great way to uh, access any of the shows that we have, all 335 of them. You can uh, find them at entrearchitect.com slash episode and whatever episode number you're looking for. So entrearchitect.com slash episode 335 for this episode with Leah Alyssa Bayer. If you want to become a member of Entre Architect, go check out entrearchitect.com slash join. If you would like to join a mastermind group, a peer group, a professional peer group specifically for architects, Go check out entrearchitect.com slash mastermind. And if you want to join a free uh, Facebook group that is dedicated to the Entree Architect community, it is the most positive, most active group on the internet. Uh, Lee and I are, were talking about a little bit in this episode. You can join us. You have to be an architect or an architecture student. So if you're not, you can go to the Entree architect, Architects and Allies group. That's a different group for architects and allies, go check that out. But if you are an architect and you, or an architecture student, and you want to become part of our private Facebook group, it is entrearchitect.com group. That's where you go to request membership for that group. The most positive uh, place for architects on the internet, the Entre Architect community on Facebook, entrearchitect.com group. And you, my friends, thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode. Thank you for listening to all of our episodes. I would like for you to go to Gable Media right now. Gablemedia.com. That's G A B L Media.com. And I have a question for you. Actually, I have a request for you. I would like you to go to GableMedia.com right now at G A B L Media.com. And go. There are currently uh, six podcasts on that network, including Entree Architect. Entree Architect, uh, Build Your Brand is there. Uh, ArcaSpeak is there. And Spaces Podcast is there. And Troxel is there, the new podcast by Evan Troxel, and Practice Disrupted with Evelyn Lee and Janine Chastain. They're all there and we have more shows being developed right now, but go there now. And I ask you to subscribe to all six of those podcasts. Make sure you're subscribed to this episode, this podcast, Entree Architect, and then go subscribe to the other five podcasts there because we are growing. And the more people who are over there, the more subscribers we have, the more traffic we have at that website, the more interested, Our sponsors will be to us. And if we get sponsorships, then we can grow and we can grow for you. So this is a request from me to you. Go over to gablemedia.com at g-a-b-l-media.com and go subscribe to everybody that's over there. I appreciate you for doing that. So until next week, be well, my friends. Be healthy, be happy, safe and secure. Thank you for listening today. Love, learn and share what you know. Have a great week.